Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi. Welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between. I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium. On this show, we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, we have the second part of my two-part interview with Leslie Lupo. Leslie is an intuitive practitioner at the famed Canyon Ranch and is internationally known for her accuracy. After being killed by a stampede of horses, her profound near-death experience resulted in her groundbreaking new book entitled Remember, Every Breath is Precious, Dying Taught Me How to Live. If you didn't hear last week's episode, head back over, listen to that, and then tune in today for the science behind NDEs. Last week, Leslie talked with us specifically about her near-death experience. And this week, we talk about how her near-death experience changed how the scientific community started to look at NDEs. I want to talk a little bit about the science behind NDEs, because a lot came out of your experience. Yes. So can you explain a little bit? The last time we spoke, you talked about being a scientific mystic, and I loved that. What is the science behind this? Because there are people who would say that was just your brain while you were unconscious or deprived of oxygen having an experience. Right. And the interesting thing is there's a couple of um, scientists who have done a lot of work on this. One is a doctor, a cardiologist from the Netherlands, Dr. Pim van Lommel. And the other one is, was the chair of the psychiatric uh, part of the University of Virginia, the School um, of Medicine, for 35 years. And he's done um, about, he's one of the founders of IANS, Bruce Grayson. He, with Raymond Moody, um, uh, Ken Ring, and John Audet, had founded the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Which is what IAN stands for, yeah, for my listeners. And yeah. So the thing is, um, there's too many things that happen where someone has a near-death experience. They go to heaven. They meet their grandfather who was alive as far as they knew. And the grandfather is like, no, I've just transitioned or I've just passed. And they wake up back on earth and the mother's like, well, your grandfather died. He was, yeah, I know. I talked to him up there. There's, there's too many of these, um, the evidentiary, you know, actual facts that are without a doubt that there is a consciousness that we, that lives. Now I live in Tucson and every two years we have, um, a conference here every other year it goes someplace else in the world but it was started by some of the doctors and scientists at the University of Arizona and it's called the the science of consciousness 
And when they started it 30 some years ago, there must have been a bump because everything started like around 35 to 40 years ago was this huge surge in science investigating spirit. Um, the, um, every two years they have it. And the, the group of scientists there called post-materialists. The mm -hmm. other ones are materialists and they absolutely think that when you die, it's just nothing. And then there are people that think that the brain just produces the consciousness again and when the, the body. But there are a group of scientists that now say that consciousness produces material. Well, that's back to Einstein. You know, energy goes, slows down and becomes material and then goes back up, especially as they begin to study the magnetic field and they realize that with our color range and with our sound range and with the, all the different ranges, we see like this much, like a few inches in the middle of, you know, a few feet in a mile. And that there are things going on all around us, even as you and I are sitting. We have such blinders on. So and our bodies slow us down, right? Because our energy is in our body and our body is really heavy. And so that slows down the energy from being able to move. Answer, absolutely. But, you know, it's, it's like when I was first coming back from upstairs, they put me in this area. I was on a chair and it went into almost like a little square area with these wavy lines again, and I felt like I was being compressed into a sausage casing. It was uncomfortable. It was the only time I felt like, and I, I, I said, oh, and Rao was with me. He stopped the process, and he said, you don't have to go back. And I looked at him, and I said, no, I will. And then that's when he said, remember, every breath is precious. And that's mm -hmm. why I use that as a title, because it was the last thing that I heard before I came back. And um, the other- so the con you, you were saying, sorry, about the consciousness? Yeah. Consciousness, the energy. Consciousness, um, the more we study magnetic fields, the more we understand the, um, the awareness that you're not just here in the physical body, that you're, you are generating electricity which generates this magnetic field around you. And other animals can see it, we can't. Mm -hmm. But that's why a person who's a psychic or an intuitive, we just have more of that intuition is sensing energy. We have a little bit more than most people. That's all. It's not magic. It's not supernatural. Um, it's just people that are highly intuitive. Um, there's so much data being gathered by these scientists that are doing tests. Now, there's no um, hardcore um, data which, like you, you, like that movie Flatliners, where you put yourself, you kill, and you resuscitate them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no hardcore data. It just happens to be the stories that the people come back with. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I didn't meet any... It's the qualitative. Right, exactly. Data. It's the qualitative data, and it has to do with the fact that people, like with Bruce Grayson, the first time he had an experience like that, he was a 
materialist psychiatrist doing his internship in a hospital. And this girl who came back from this um, overdose of drugs mentioned, you know, when he was sitting in her room, he had his jacket open, his doctor coat, and uh, he had a spot of spaghetti on his tie. And she was like flatlining. And when he went to see the family, he, he closed his jacket up because he had spilled spaghetti on his tie. And when he went, when he, the girl finally did come back and she was again told to come back, um, she mentioned that spot on his tie. And he's like, how could you have seen that? You could have not, there's no way when she's flatlining that she could have seen that her eyes were closed the entire time. So you have all these experiences where people will say, you know, the doctor that was an anesthesiologist came over off of the golf course and he had red plaid socks on. Mm -hmm. There were things that you would just never know. And um, there's just tens of thousands of those experiences where uh, people are having also the very same similar experiences. doesn't matter what race you are, what gender you are, how old you are, what religion you are, what culture you are. Everyone's talking the same language. Mm-hmm. Von Lummel, Dr. Von Lummel did a 20-year study in 14 hospitals with, um, with the, um, you know, if anyone died and was resuscitated, then they gave them this loving questionnaire without leading questions or anything, just very objective. And they found that um, almost a third of the people that died had near-death experiences. Um, There's another doctor that's doing uh, research with veterans. He can't talk to any veteran because, again, if any of the veterans mention something like that, they're immediately put into psychiatric, goes on their record. So he can only talk to people that are no longer um, in active service. And um, he finds it's actually almost 50% for combat-related death and resuscitations. Well, and that and it makes you wonder, too, based on your experience, whether people have ha- still had the near-death experience, right? They just chose not to remember it. Well, that's another question I thought. I wonder how many are given a choice to remember or not. Mm-hmm. Is it 100% or are some people forced to remember? Um, most people that have a near-death experience are just the out-of-body ones. I think that's around 80% of them. Well, they'll walk around the hospital, they'll see people conversing, they'll, they'll see their mother crying and, you know, be able to repeat what she said. About 20% are like mine that we go completely on the other side. But mm-hmm. the majority of those are told you have to go back. Only so there's different, sorry, there's different levels, perhaps, of there's some that just are kind of watching what's going on here mm-hmm. versus yeah. you being transported to this uh-huh. other realm. Yes, yes. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. 
But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. And of the ones that go completely on the other side um, or have contact with the other side, with they are, majority of them are told, you must go back. They're not given a choice. Um, Anita Morjani was given a choice. A few mm. people were given a choice. Evan Alexander, he, it was just, he just swooshed and he went. Nobody even said, you have to go. He just was there and then all of a sudden he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it depends on a lot of things. I mean, it's not like we're um, all back now and we're these holy, holy saints that are, you know, uh, picture perfect. But in reality, um, the science, when you're studying a psychotic break or a um, near-death experience, that's what Bruce Grayson is going to be writing his book on. And the data he has, he's all over the internet. Uh, you can look up his re- research papers. But, you know, he basically says that some of the differences are this. It changes your life for the better. Mm-hmm. It's something you never forget. A psychotic break are usually horrific. And they're, they're usually because of um, a stimulus. Like there's either a drug involved. It could be a drug in in surgery or alcohol or, um, you know, it's usually stress-induced, whereas near death is obviously dying, but it's it's not because of a, a drug or a hallucinogen. Right. And we know that, that uh, there are, like, there's a time frame where psychotic breaks are more common. Yes, So, whereas for near-death experiencers, you know, people have near-death experiences at all ages of their lives. It's not to say that people who have psychotic breaks don't, but there's a huge increase between like 18 and 24 where Mm -hmm. psychotic breaks typically happen. Right. And that's an alignment with developing schizophrenia. All the things that pop out in that growth spurt of our brain, if the wiring's wrong, and the other thing, is, I mean, there's just so many amazing, uh, he's, he's done, uh, when I met him, I saw him on an article they were talking, so I wrote to him and I said, I had one. He sent me over 100 questionnaires to fill out. It took about a year, and I was able to fill out these questionnaires, and he, you know, and I became like, um, we questionnaire, emailed. Questionnaire pals. Yeah, questionnaire pals, because I asked him sometimes the questions I couldn't quite relate to either or. 
So he said, make notes. So I started making extensive notes, which he really appreciated because not everybody did that. They just filled them in. But it's the more information we can give them and the more vivid a recall that we have that we can begin to elevate. And you're right. The one thing that kept me going in spite of the fact that I had all this stuff going, uh, it was like swimming upstream against the river, was that hope. And that knowledge that all this love and light is right next to us and within us. And I can tap into that very easily. And that's what kept me going. I, I kept remembering that I came back to help. I volunteered to come back. I came back to help. Therefore, I can make it through. There and your spiritual abilities as a result of this were heightened and you did work yes. to heighten them right yes. yes i was very very psychic as a child and it frightened me so you can turn it off mm-hmm. then when i was in college i kept bumping into these highly um spiritual teachers that kept saying why do you have your light turned off and then my fiance died in college and i thought i should have seen it you know air quotes Mm-hmm. And I shut it off. Because if you were so intuitive, you should have known, right? Yeah. I'm like, why didn't I see it coming? Oh, he saw it coming. In fact, he talked about it. He would tell me, if you go back, I think I'm going to die. I don't think I'll see you again. And I used to tease him about it. And he wasn't manipulative. He was very sincere. And I even asked my spiritual teachers, do you sense anything? And ever, nobody sensed a thing. And, and why is, I mean, I think I have an understanding of why that is, but. He has to make the transition. It's like he has a contract. He and I both came down and we were supposed to be together when we left. And as far as his immortal soul, it's deciding to go. His mortal soul is going. My immortal soul, as it began to get closer to that date, decided to jump the contract and stay, which is fine because anybody that's doing healing work, if you want to stick around, no one's going to stop you. You know, most people want to run back upstairs, you know? So so the the lesson is do healing work. (laughs) Healing work. (laughs) Yeah. And and how, what was the timing between when he passed and when you had your? Um, That, okay. So when he passed I was 21 okay so and when I had my near-death experience I was 36 okay so I think it was 15 years okay I was just curious because sometimes I've heard people who have had not near-death experiences but have almost died Mm -hmm. and then shortly after they die and it's you know, it's sort of that when you talk about a contract, it's like, well, you know, if that was, and then people say, well, when it's your time, it's your time. Well, and, I, I can answer that too, because the soul has several escape hatches. There's not just one. Mm-hmm. And maybe the soul almost died and then decided, no, I'm done here. Your immortal soul is the one that makes the choice to leave which is very hard to tell a child or tell someone, um, again, even though the human being 
is struggling to stay in the body, the immortal soul is the one driving the car. Mm -hmm. And um, I love that saying, you know, that we're not human beings having spiritual experiences, we're spiritual beings having human experiences. And in that regard, then we are understanding, um, you know, that I have an immortal soul, which is why it was so important for me afterwards to connect the two, my human and my immortal. And one more thing to reflect on, when we talk about our lives, if we realize that we are partially responsible for the curriculum, like if I go to college and I want to be an anthropologist, I'm going to have a whole bunch of different um, classes than if I want to go and be um, a sports agent or a sports coach. If I want to go into coaching or physical education, they're going to be completely different. Or if I want to go be a theoretical physicist, I'm going to have a totally different uh, curriculum. Mm -hmm. So we have to recognize that on some level, there is something I can learn from this. And if I learn it, then I'm through it quicker. So in your book, you said the number one goal of divine is growth and connection. And that as we evolve our power, and that as we evolve, our power not only transforms us, it changes others. I thought this was so profound. Can you just speak a little bit more to what you meant by that? Well, one of the things to use as an example, if you think of a, a tree like a sequoia or a redwood, every year they put on another ring. They never get to a place that they say, oh, I'm tall enough, I'm big enough, I've been here a thousand 2,000 years. I think I'll just float for a while. You know, they don't. Every year is growth. Everything in our biology. And while I'll agree with people when they say the second law of thermodynamics is everything disintegrates, that's the second half of the cycle. But then that generates everything growing again. So the disintegration is still part of the growth cycle. So when I was upstairs and I realized how much, um, when I went into the second building that, where I met my second group, there, were all, there was a huge room to my left um, and there were all these people studying and they had um, uh, papers and they were chatting, but the lightness was there. And when, when they showed me a scene of me working to place these, you know, with my soul group, there was love and happiness. Um, it's like everyone's getting paid to taste chocolate upstairs or something, you know, because there was so much joy and celebration. And there was also the knowing that, you know, the, the divine is growing. Everything is growth oriented. There is some disintegration, but at the same time, um, it's, it's very on point that we're getting better, and, and that's why we have to always say, keep your eye on the bigger picture. Because it's if you look at the top of the mountain, there are going to be rocks in the way, and sometimes the, the little trail goes down again and dips down and comes up again. But if you know the ultimate goal is this sense of inner peace and maturity, then you will have that happen. 
And the other thing that helped me with that concept of growth is remembering that the world is a one-room schoolroom. You have so many different levels of growth here. You've got a lot of young souls. You could go to a big dinner party, be seated next to a CEO, Fortune 500, who is in second grade, and the busboy coming to give you water, or another CEO is a PhD. So it's in, in soul, in, in soul. And emotional growth. Yeah. Very, very young souls don't have the level or um, the level of emotional growth, you know. When I was in college, develop, developmental psych was my major. I love it. I love looking at the growth and how we do these things and how we can better ourselves. And so it's kind of learn and grow the rest of your life. Be excited about your lessons and learning. So I just wanted to end today with the last paragraph of your book, if I could, and read that because I think people who have reached out to me, you know, people want to know how to cultivate, if you haven't had a near-death experience, how to cultivate an awareness that helps you continue to grow. Mm -hmm. So you said, just start from this premise. Every breath is precious. You are loved. Live the love you are in now and be ready for more to unfold. Have faith and slow yourself down. Add patience to your daily practices. Everything will work out for you, even if sometimes it doesn't look like it will. The divine has your back. Stop beating yourself up. Get used to making mistakes. It's the quickest way we learn. The universe sends us love in a reflection of how we love ourselves. So the more we love and take care of ourselves, the more we attract love from all relationship levels. Include yourself in your decisions. It brings back a sense that you do have a lot more choice in life than you imagine. And when you realize that, you can genuinely heal and find inner peace. Get out there, live, love, and laugh. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank so you. thank you so much for your time today. I'm, I mean, I, there, there's like 12 different topics. This is spirit spun off for me in my mind as you're talking about, oh my God, we, that could be a whole podcast and that could be a whole podcast. <laughs> we can do them. We can do them. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And if people want to find you, can you tell them where they can do that? Um, well, Leslie Lupo is you know, spelled L-E-S-L-E-Y-L-U-P-O. If you just Google it, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Twitter, sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm on LinkedIn. And um, I have my webpage. And it will, lesliejoanlupo.com is my webpage. And that's kind of brings you everything. Okay, great. And that will be in my show notes as well. So people can just look for that. Well, thank you, and I am grateful for your time. Thank you so much. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Curious about what comes next and what it all means? You can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to podcasts and find life, death, and the space between and hit subscribe. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. Ask me any questions you might have. Let me know what else you'd love to hear about. 
or just share your story. I can't wait to hear from you.